this is a continuation of finding the bills, which we talked about last time. I thought it'd be useful to talk a little bit about the results of how of what the bills do. Um, in fact, uh, the results were speaking for his own hard work of developing his own plan did have another benefit, which was it was best that we not go with him to present his case and proposal for financing. A numbers, numbers people like to talk to numbers people, but this was about the client. By the approach, his plan stayed. His plan, not ours. The result, of course, was that he was conversant in what he was trying to do. It impressed the lender. I, I want to come back to that one later, uh, just, to, just to cut in to see if we can remember to do this, the question of the attendance of so-called experts such as ourselves in such meetings and the, the risks and the benefits. Um, and I will say that now so that we remember it, uh, to get back to it after you've talked a bit more. It's a, it's a major subject, indeed. Uh, the result was, of course, that he was conversant. I said that. He knew his plan inside and out, so he could talk to it inside and out. He didn't have business acumen. He didn't know about business, but he knew his business. So back to the bill story, the owner gave his gave gave a an impression, impressive and convincing performance before the lender, though, as is usual with the bills, he felt otherwise. In the bill, I relate related the lender I related the lender called me afterward. Just in yeah. case people are listening to this for the first time. The bills, or the bill. It's, a, it's an archetype, right? Yeah, so an archetype for a certain kind of what? Somebody with profound, a gift, who has deep uh, skills in know-how and knowing what. Usually developed, um, and some people say oh, it takes about two decades of apprenticeship. These are highly individualized, skilled people. Um, there may be a subcategory of the entrepreneur, but the, the mindset is, is completely different. Okay. So, anyway, as usual, Bill didn't feel, the Bill didn't feel things worked well. Um, in the Bill story I related, the lender called me. I was not surprised at the lender's enthusiasm for doing this deal. Remember, in the story, this was in the 1980s. Prime rate was 20%, and Smokestack America, which is the proposal of the bill, uh, was supposed to be dead. If refreshed periodically, these plans, such as as much as annually, the bill would in fact improve clarity, purpose, and support. While seasoned in their industries, they appear not to be bound to what everybody else does, and they tell us so in the development of their plans. Yet I never heard them criticize others, which I sort of found remarkable. Uh, they were not blind risk takers. Rather, they were more accurately risk mitigators. So they act with disciplined and rigorous testing. All that said, relying on their skills, I believe the chief thing in starting the business and running their businesses was the future risk they see for their families, which they felt and were persuaded and demonstrated and worked in their plan that they could reduce that risk by having and starting their own business. It's incidentally, uh, that's one of the biggest points of misunderstanding and let's say observers um, of the 
entrepreneurial craft. I mean, the art of running the business that you founded. Uh, they tend to be regarded as gamblers and as massive risk takers needing to be disciplined or restrained or focused, which in our experience tends to not be remotely true. They are what you said. They are, uh, are risk avoiders. They, they, they tend to be farsighted and unconventional. But that's not the same as saying uh, um, our risk junkies or adrenaline junkies. I think that's the in, in the lexicon these days. Well, that that would support the fact that he took nearly a year to work through and refine and develop his plan. A year before he started, so he was ready. Well, in this whole series, one of the things I wanted to discuss is probably the most interesting. There are others that are interesting too when we get there, but one of them is certainly pricing. How do you deal with pricing in a situation of the bills? How much difference can the bill make and does the difference matter? For me, it was answered in a living, in, 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 in living through one pricing story. One day, the bill began a conversation by saying to me he wanted to sell out. I asked why. The reply, everybody around here thinks I'm stupid. In a way, that's, not an, that's a fairly typical response to the madness of the bill. But it is not a wise response. Neither selling out nor his summary that everyone thought him stupid surprised me. Lacking acknowledged credentials and the language to explain and support what he did made him a target. Such unexplainable or inexplicable skills, even argued from apprenticeship, especially if rightly recognized as God's gift and usually, even in result, are not well received. When I discuss the particulars of personality, the conflict will be easier to explain. I'll do that in another session. What I don't know is, I can, is, my, is, how, is how I can explain my reaction to, to his statement and the advice I gave therefrom. I said in response, what I think we should do is examine your pricing. It seems in, incongruous to the issue he'd raised. Later I learned that the key people had been pushing for price increases. Those things don't sit well with the bills. Uh, those experts and pros with credentials think it's all math and reality, which the bills understand as irrelevant, if not destructive, to what they were trying to do. I proposed it would take a year to analyze the matter. He replied he didn't think it would work, the <laughs> characteristic of these guys, and then went on to tell me that he would tell the CFO the next day to send the check for the first, the send, to send the first check, which they did. I like math and reality. It's the thing that people like me as CPA are trained in. Yet I had come to resolve that when things become subjective, that is, for example, the customer's view of price and value, that was sort of out of my league. Well, the first step, it seemed to us, was to examine the company using about 100 formulas to determine if the company, using math and reality, was in fact healthy. If it wasn't, then we couldn't help. It was its healthy ranking, put it in the top 25% exclusive of size. So we continued. So, <clears throat> as a... Uh, um I like the topic of math and reality. Can I sum that up as say that they can function as negative proof? You might. It's, just, it's a bit of math versus reality. I, I mean, at least in, in, in business, uh, numbers are outcomes. 
and relative to what we think the inputs are, they tend to behave in kind of a nonlinear fashion. I mean, they're not strictly predictable at any point in time, so they misbehave. The numbers do. I if guess. they're not subsidiary to what the bill is doing, then they put a stop to whatever he does. I'm, I'm asking more a broader, um, maybe philosophical question where this archetype person that you're calling the bill or the bills, um, I'm not, I don't know how to say it. The negative proof can kind of cover some bases and set a floor, maybe uh, um, provide some conventional grounding. It seems that where he proceeded and people like him proceed is in a positive thing that is hard to prove. I think that's exactly <coughs> exactly right, actually, now that you come to the point. My question is, who's telling this story? Uh, <laughs> go, go, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm just talking. Uh, <laughs> negative proof. <laughs> I, I, what we do on the service of the entrepreneur is an awful lot of it amounts to negative proof. Uh, what if we're wrong? Uh, what is the downside? Uh, how long do you need for this to work before you're out of money? And all, all sorts of questions because we have a fair amount of confidence in someone like uh, uh, the bill. I, I hope everyone can be... I, I, am I the only one who's thinking Lebowski right now? But never mind. I, no, you're not. Well, let's, uh, let's just, just try to hold it. Uh, uh, well, that's not off point. Go ahead. Uh, but uh, um, the, the positive outcomes are really not strictly predictable numerically, but except for insofar as the entrepreneur can act and solve the problems that they see in front of them and therefore the you know the, the consultants the advisory role is essentially negative which which is not to say don't do this but rather um, um, what as I said what's the downside uh, what if it doesn't work what are the alternatives um, but it, it's a process essentially for them of clearing the deck of, of anything that's going to take their eye off the ball in advancing the business. Well, a simple reality is that is part of the reason why we put so much pressure on planning, why I think we think it's important, is that the what the uncle what the bill knows is uh, is hard to define and harder for the bill to describe. So it sounds it sounds risky. Yeah. And math and reality sound seem to give certainty. And in business you don't want uncertainty. What you want is a clear course. Well, then maybe I could sum up in almost a term of art. Um, uh, it's the difference between something that has to be seen to be believed and something that has to be believed to be seen. That's pretty deep. I'll have to write that down and see if I understand it. Well, I had an idea at the time of how they priced. It was in one form or another, in fact, math and reality, likely tied to cost accounting and general financial reporting. And easily, they can detract visible changes in visible elements such as materials and labor. While increasing the price by some easily identifiable element would support price increases, even to some extent provide justification to the customer. It is a long pull up a steep hill which will come to find customers who will also find other producers. If there's such a thing as a gift refined and applied in long apprenticeship, 
A common approach, while arguably objective, would also not be so for the customer because the customer's sense of things is, if you will, subjective value. Still, we had no answer for pricing. The client asked for new pricing formulas. You're going to get around to the question of all valuation being subjective? That's a bit too uh, deep a dive, but sorry, I couldn't help but... That's too deep for point. me to dive, yes. Well, it's lengthy. Okay. It, no, I've, there's other podcasts that we'll do that we'll get to that more directly. Anyway, we com- he asked for a new pricing formulas. They were already doing formulas. We complied, if only to prove that, that, that they could not work at least given the limits of our skills and the answer, and the answer to the question of price and, and value. Pricing as a matter of calculation and market knowledge is highly sophisticated and not something we knew or were convinced that such a small company could, be, uh, could acquire and sustain those depth of skills. Moreover, they may apply in commodity businesses, um, but they don't apply in custom production. Besides of which, our residing conclusion is that the bill approach, at least in result and continuation, is both sustainable and trades on the standard of a person, of a person and that is the person is the bill. <clears throat> the bill company operated in an industry with no published prices. We also work in agriculture where prices are public. One day it occurred to me how we could create a synthetic price discovery. I won't tell you what it was or how we did it. Anyway, it showed that the bill's prices over several years were declining while the industry's prices were increasing. That took a lot of the scare out of this. It is not to say whether the bills were actually low or that they were too high but declining, but relatively, the bill's prices were declining and the industries were increasing. Maybe the bill was already higher. We didn't think so. We showed the result to the client. While the managers were convinced prices were too low, a point of much previous dispute, using synthetic prices we developed, we compared their actual prices to synthetic prices. This was a small company of about 100 people with maybe 2,000 customer specification jobs each year. They put together a way for them to track their price adjustments to this synthetic market. Which, which jobs to change and how much and how fast was their decision? We simply would report results quarterly. We also asked them to rank each job according to difficulty, which was a crude way of trying to find out the extent to which the bills know how and know what impacted production. That uh, ranking didn't get completed. How many jobs were profoundly affected by the bill we never learned, but we did learn, or it seemed certain in the case, that the bill quite broadly developed know-how and know-what within his employees. And many of these were just line employees. We ran this price report for four years. About every six months, the bill demanded a review threatening to terminate the work. Yet, uh, as the facts came through, showing up in their P&L, each time the project was continued, the results they achieved were outstanding. Arguing that experienced people under the bill could make price adjustments and with quarterly review, they could do so without there being without further checking made sense. The head of bidding had freedom to exercise, in fact, his long experience against that backdrop of being checked each quarter. It is fair to say that the bills are price reluctant. On one hand, they fear losing what they have. On the other hand, pricing for them 
is as much a mystery as their deep and wide insights are to others. We work in agriculture, which presents its own challenges. Before you go to ag, it's interesting. I think it's still a thing to say that this or that business or process is data-driven. It's really not remotely true. And what you're talking about with respect to the skill that the the bidder at the Bill's company, um, you know, judgment is inevitable and you can't automate it. Um, you can only uh, uh, measure it and give it context, which becomes data is very much the servant here and, and, not, and not the driver. It's impossible that it, that it drives. It's, it's driven whether you know it or not. Well, that is exactly, as you recall, why we demurred on providing a price formula. It wouldn't work. It is, these are, these are skilled, uh, experienced, judgment-driven things. Well, anyway... We work in agriculture, which presents its own challenges. Prices are known, but they fluctuate. The emotional and mental challenge is profound. They cannot set prices. They can only choose the price. The bill proposition in ag provides limited guidance in pricing other than knowing what price works or what price even higher works better. Where the proposition comes through is in the management acquisition of assets, production methods, and debt structuring. Few in farming fall short of 20-year apprenticeship. There the challenge for the application of the gift is, or the limitation of the gift is community pressures, tax incentives, which is a subject of itself, uh, expert uh, pressures and lender pressures. Such things are not small and not to be ignored. However, differences in profit as measured against assets are routinely in the bill farms 50% higher. I'll not disclose our new measure of prices. Pricing is among the challenges that the bills face, for in that is a public test of their gift. The difference is about how something is to be done. Something what is is done. Sometimes what is done, customer specifications, rather than merely measurement and cost. Critique of traditional management is not merely math and reality. Costs are less a question rather secondary, but dependent upon know-how and know-what from the front end and working through what is not workable costs otherwise. that <laughs> That's a mouthful. Yeah, I mean, that was James Joycean in Density. I, you know, that, I don't even have a question just to take a... I'm giving people a chance to pause and... Well, and let me put it in plain language. That yeah. Doing something the same old way, but but spending less money to do it, it doesn't work. Okay, see. You change the way you do it. Well, the, yeah, the, uh, I mean, the math says cut costs, and, and, and uh, um, it, you, you can chase that to a point where it's absurd very easily. Um, obviously, cutting all costs means that you aren't able to produce whatever it is that people are buying. Uh, but there's a certain illusion that it's possible to cut some of them without fundamentally changing it, and that's where the sort of the, the judgment comes in. It's not strictly predictable or measurable in numbers, so what costs you can safely cut. Uh, but our, our answer is, our, our default position in, in running forecasts on, uh, on behalf of our clients is no costs are safely cut. And in fact, uh, the, the best thing to figure out is as they're looking at different ways to spend money to improve whatever they're doing, that we help them create the forecasts to prove that out. You mean... Say that. Say it again. That last bit. What'd you say? You 
<laughs> he said, uh, the, for, uh, for a, no uh, concert. Because this is, you, <laughs> I think this you might is kind of like foundational stuff here. Y'all out there listening. Yeah, this is foundational. Because uh, I know everybody wants to spend less money. Well, they pref- well, let me finish. I know it's going to take me a minute. I talk slower than others present. But you're saying a foundational principle of Walker Insight is no cost is safely cut. And in fact, what you do in forecast is how... That's the part I need you to say again. I, yeah, let's, see if, let's give it a, a go. No cost is safely cut. This the, the the goal of forecasting is to find out which costs actually need to be increased. Uh, that in the judgment of the entrepreneur, the owner, are going to um, <coughs> deliver what they need. Okay. Still, what we contend is that what fundamentally reduces costs, makes it, if you will, more efficient. I hate the word. Is that in fact it always increases spending at the front end. It always increases spending at the front end to affect those improvements. Propositionally, therefore, obtaining a benefit later and often are done through the most powerful impacts are changes of methods during production itself. In other words, let's do this differently. One of my favorite stories is uh, General Electric was sending their uh, water heaters, I guess it was, over to Japan, uh, China to have them manufactured because... The nominal labor cost in China is a lot less than here. Well, that wasn't working so good, so they brought it back to Appliance Park, which is somewhere in Kentucky. I want to say Bowling Green, but maybe it's not there. And they brought in seasoned guys from the floor with a couple of engineers, redid how they approached the manufacture of this product, and as a result, ended up with a better water heater, cheaper even though the labor unit cost per man hour was higher. It's a useful lesson. Still, um, uh, it does not hurt, though it is not the coin of the realm, to continue to check prices by cost accounting. I don't have an argument against that. It can suggest candidates for method changes. There was from this project, which, by the way, they made more money in the four years that they followed this than the sum total of the preceding 19 years. And bear in mind, they were, before we started, they were still in the top 25% of performing companies. Well, there was blowback from the experts, from the managers in industry practice. What was done was well documented in proposal and execution and was at least different than what they, than the skill set they have. Unfortunately, they felt it was a put-down. Ameliorating that feeling is something the bill must and could anticipate and is well advised to move to placate. At least their commitment to the methods they use was understandable in terms of education and industry practice. It admits some respect. It has value, but at the same time, it is subordinate to the bill always. Avoiding blowback and resistance supports the role of annual planning in the bill firm. The major challenge is that the application of know-how, know-what does not arrive at startup fully developed. Thinking develops in conditions that prompt it. Typically, the bill applies its view as it affects equipment and facility early on, including 
before startup. When the bill regularly works through his plan, communication and clarity with employees and managers occurs naturally. He does not look like he's flying by the seat of his pants. That is just all off the cuff. One effect, whether substantive or not, failure leave, failure of the bill to do this opens him, opens him to criticism, at least arising from the supposition the bill doesn't listen to anybody else. That said, there's an uncertainty about the bill genius. Does it shrink? What are its limits? How far will it progress and for how long? Moreover, the bill can look to be anti-business and profits. The bill is thing-oriented or method-oriented rather than cost-time-oriented. As a result, some say the bill does not know business, and I've heard business people say that about those I knew to be the bills. Finally, it is from excellence that opportunity and means for pricing the bill component. In markets without public prices, the real conflict arises. It is a matter of so-called objectivity, which I term math and reality, versus the bill that the customer does not care about your cost. It is objectivity of your fact versus the subjectivity of the customer's value. But I think more it is respect and appreciation for the gift given. Though it is clear to me that the gift is an unusually heavy burden for the bill. The one story I told is that the impact on the bill of production can be so profound that pricing falls unbelievably below available market prices. <clears throat> well, you know, um, this was a dense one. Um, with less conversation, maybe. I, I think that... Uh, you got anything? I have many things. I don't know what... Well, it's, it's hard to uh, talk through with, with, with no visuals... Uh, 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 what is still a, a very numerical process, and probably the question is what we think is driving the uh, conclusions. Uh, um, um, working for uh, working in uh, let's say synthetic price discovery for uh, in manufacturing or wholesaling or working for farms where you have price discovery, but also really astonishing market volatility. I mean, at, at the core of it is is uh, is working from forecasts that are. are Customized to the uh, to the owner entrepreneur specs, so they can uh, um, they can test out their own decisions, um, and also test out some interval of uh, uncertain interval of time that it might take for those decisions to be proven right and to start to pay out. So actually, I, I don't know how to undense it very easily. I've, I've certainly been trying a long time. Well, I mean, so. I, I, I respond to it as a non-technical person. I mean, you, you, the two of the two Toms make up Walker Insight, with a combined whatever, eighty years experience or something like that. That's getting to be that. Cheesy peasy. And that's, I mean, legitimately, that's what it is. My dad, Tom Senior, started on this when he was twenty four, twenty thirty. Call it thirty. 30. Yeah. Tom, the younger, has been at it a long time as well. I was I worked in it a bit, not much. What strikes me is the technical becomes opaque, and this bill character 
seems so uh, sort of outside of it, you know, from a, a, a what do you say, business or economic standpoint. When he when he's just uh, he seems like kind of a run of the mill protagonist in a literary sense. He's pretty much a, a, a pretty much a working stiff like all of us who's uh, by whatever is either inherited or has uh, been dropped into some situation where he runs a firm. Well, it, you know, when we get into one of the podcasts that I've sort of prepared is managing the bill firm. And uh, you see some of the problems that arise. Firms like this are subject to almost limitless professional criticism because it's they're not they're not skilled at articulating what they see and do their strength doesn't lie verbally it relies in execution they're interfering uh, as it's, it's called uh, they're everywhere in the firm and it's said that uh, you know their firms are chaotic one writer said well that you know that won't last he wear the guy out. I'm not sure that's true. I think something else wears them out. But he then went through the progress of taking one of these chaotic startups and becoming a secure, sophisticated, predictable business, which he then says concludes by arriving at a bureaucratic, it becomes a bureaucratic business. And that is a negative outcome. I accept all the technical. I think that there's a running theme through all the podcasts of uh, of inf- almost an inferiority complex, an oppositional position, and a lack of understanding of s- self-awareness of people like Bill. I think that's true. And, and I've, I've commented before, and I'm just bringing it up, probably to the irritation of everybody, that what probably should happen is if you're a Bill... And you have a bill company, just that construct is funny sounding to me. But if you have, if you are those things, it, it's a functional construct. So it's, anyway, it would seem to me that the thing to do would be get a hold of you know the Toms and talk through it. And the other thing, and this is the Jeremy saying this, it would be you know read Huck Finn or something because there is a. There is an archetype for this kind of person who responds to what you call, and I really like the syntax of it, math and reality, in a way that doesn't come from math and reality. I think also, you know, additionally, in terms of getting getting your mind around it, at least it helped me uh, reading the uh, Steve Jobs uh, bio. Uh, in, indicates kind of what that personality is like. Yeah. Um, I would throw into that pile. Albert Murray wrote a great book called "The Hero and the Blues," and it's a book about literary theory. But and I've this means nothing because I've read very few things about business. But it's probably the finest book about business I've ever read. <laughs> well, additionally, um, uh, and this gets too political or. Uh, um, in some ways, but still really shine, for me at least, it really shined a lot of light on the nature of entrepreneurship and discovery, which was Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Um, it's not an easy read, and, and, and partly because it's not terribly good writing, but uh, the, the insights are really profound and valuable in terms of uh, discovery and business and the forces that 
kind of naturally align uh, to create a protection racket to stop it from disrupting their own, uh, they perceive as their own security. I'm getting too meta-friend there already, well, I, but I, it's really I, true. I came at it from a far more practical end, and this was in the early 80s, the first case. I had ordered the firm to begin developing math models in the 70s for forecasting business issues. When we did a particular startup, there was two differences. One, we were able to finally to turn the screen around so the client could see what we see. Um, but the second difference was really profound. It, the, the client was there alone. None of the experts were there with him. He was a startup, so he didn't have experts, he didn't have management. And frankly, I knew nothing about the business, so I couldn't say, oh, that's not what you should do. We don't do those kind of things. So it began to notice that what came out of that process is his own thinking, which I was persuaded and proved, I would, I guessed, I suppose, proved to be true that if he could talk, get it down in his terms, what he was satisfied with, present it to a lender, that he would secure financing. And indeed, that was pretty amazing. That was where that began. And later on, we'll talk about the development of annual planning and doing so without the presence of experts. Fortunately, um, as I tell our, our clients, I don't understand your business. I can't tell you how to run it. And the simple fact of the matter is that's, uh, that's true. And if I do have an opinion, um, I've learned to keep my mouth shut. It's not my business. It's theirs. And what the planning does is allow them to, to look at those risks and clarify their thinking and advance it however far they wish to advance it. Actually, closing, I don't know if closing, maybe we're closing thought to, on it is the, the missing piece for a lot of people, almost for everyone in business, whether or not they fit this archetype, and I think more people do than operate this way. The, the, the missing piece is, is an ongoing, a, a really deep disciplined uh, forecasting process. I don't mean, I mean, forecasts are inevitable, but, but uh, my immediate experience across uh, a small, small businesses uh, in various industries is uh, there's a real lack of uh, uh, um, deep forecasting and planning. And I mean that in the formal sense, not that the leaders have no sense of where they'd like to go or they feel they need to, but the uh, question of building up the... Uh, you know, the, 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 the measurable, testable, discoverable uh, uh, set of assumptions that they can chart progress. Tom, you're right. It just happens that I hate the word forecast. I think what we're talking about, if I, not to correct you, but to look but at But to correct way. me. All right, take it that way. <laughs> the forecast is, is this. If you do this and so, here's what's going to happen. That's all. They're looking at, I'm going to do this and so. How does that affect me? In the present and the long term. Well, I must. That, by uh, definition, is a forecast. I understand. Um, but it, to, to me, it's more lively because it's more personal. Well, it's personal, and it's a. It's but I'm highly opinionated. Scenario generation. It's all of these things. So yeah, um, and we're we're getting fairly technical and pedantic even on that particular topic. Well, it's been. If I have the last word, which I doubt, but um, your podcast. Well, to discover these people to find what they're doing and we have many cases there's many the bill that's why I have that crude term but to see how they deviate and the reason we know of their deviations is sometimes they will actually tell us well this is the way I want to do it 
That's not the way it's done, but this is the way I'm doing it. And um, you know, our job is to is to uh, capture that, let them wrestle with it. Most of the top guys, and this was true in the startup, they will look at that plan three to four times before it's locked. They will look at it and amend it until it reflects their thinking and what they think, what the risks they're willing to accept, and what they're trying to do. That's all. All right, we'll be back again talking about it. And I guess this is the last word. Go to Walk, Walker Insight. WalkerInsight.com. Dot com. All the podcasts are there, and you can find it on Apple Pod and Spotify, Spotify and yeah. Anchor.fm and all the rest, and pursue this further. Um, and my own recommendation, if you're all independent and you want to know a little bit your cultural role, read Hero in the Blues. It talks about how the Davids figured out how to knock out the Goliaths. Hmm.